0: Welcome back to Pink Noise. I'm your host, Very Sherry. I'm recording on board a floating home that I share with my partner in Seattle, Washington. I would like to acknowledge that we are living on the unceded ancestral lands of the Duwamish people, past and present. If you've been following along on this Pink Noise journey, you might be aware that next week is our first birthday. That's right, listeners. We are one year old on September 20th. I'm using this date to mark a significant transition in the format and title of this broadcast. We will continue to be hosted on Cafe Racer Radio as part of Cindy Ann's Free to Be Sunday series. And starting next week, our segments will be shorter deep dives with the coaches, healers, and transformational magicians who I introduced you to in season one. I'm calling these folks the Pink Noise Posse. Today's guest is no exception. I'm certain that she's destined to become a posse member of the Pink Noise Healing Collective because she is all about living a juicy life. And it may have taken some sweat and tears to disrupt a lifetime of conditioning, But today's guest, Sarah Schneider, did just that. And it's her mission to support other leaders to claim their own piece of the juicy life pie. She shares about her journey towards being a leadership coach and about the lessons that can be found by slowing down and examining her resistance. That theme is so prevalent, especially in the second half of this conversation, that I almost titled this episode, Resistance is Information. She said, all of how we are protects us in some way. And then asked, are we aware of the fear that is driving our resistance? Because, you know, if we're not, maybe we ought to be. We just might find the clues we need to rise up even further. So without any further ado, the conversation. Welcome to Pink Noise, Sarah Schneider. Sherry, thank you. It's so good to see you and hear you. It's been a while. It has been. I was so moved by something I read that you posted quite recently. And it was a conversation around discomfort and a reframing of discomfort. And I wanted to read it and have you say a little more about it. Sure. People often say something is uncomfortable when really what they mean is unfamiliar. Relating to the thing as uncomfortable can set you up to struggle or avoid it altogether. So relating to it as unfamiliar allows you the grace to be new at something, and the self trust that with practice it can happen. Yeah, I hear that. I'm like, oh my god, those were my words. I'm like, oh,
1: it's kind of nice to hear those words back. Uh, yeah. So if I uh, that actually came about from I was having a conversation with. Um, someone, and we were talking about this idea of rest, somebody, and which is rest is in a lot of different places right now. We're we're actually, I think, seeing a lot more of how it actually serves us versus beating ourselves up for it. But she was, she's a high performer. She does She's been busy her whole life. She gets so much out of being up to a lot at once. And she's also exhausted. And so we've we've been doing a lot of work on like, what would it look like to change your pace and be able to relax a little bit? And what if it was actually okay to sit still and read a book? And we were talking about some things that would actually serve her but she kept talking about the idea of relaxing or rest. That was just uncomfortable. It's too uncomfortable for me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this thing like over and over again. And the thought occurred to me we were in that conversation, which was like, Hey, is it uncomfortable? Or is it actually just something you're not practiced at? Is it something that you're completely unfamiliar with this idea of sitting still, this idea of not having to produce or perform or constantly be of value in some way, like, you know, can we actually look at the difference in those two things and what would be possible if you actually related to this idea of chilling out, actually, like just relaxing a little bit and, and becoming building a muscle essentially around not having to be a human producer all of the time. And so that's really, I mean, I've, I've had that those kinds of conversations many times over the years with myself and with other people, but that was the first time I'd
0: heard like, those two Those two distinctions came to me, and I know that when I read that, I softened, mm. like I was like, oh yeah if i if I say that it's uncomfortable, it can be foreboding, and why would I invite discomfort into my life willingly when there's already enough to go around, yeah, so If I label something as uncomfortable, it's not going to be as accessible to me. It's going to be harder to say yes to it. But if I consider something unfamiliar, then it piques my curiosity. And with curiosity, I can approach something new and, uh, and kind of be in the mystery of it and not have to be perfect.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so well said. I, I love the curiosity piece, the the mystery piece. And look, I mean, being uncomfortable is okay. I mean, you and I have, in the time that I met you, you made some huge, huge changes in your life. I had had been making lots of changes and there was, you know, you and I have had a lot of, conversations walking around green lake around something that was uncomfortable or was messing with our heads or we were scared of and so i don't think there's anything wrong with you know the idea of being comfortable and growing at the same time like it's those two, two things don't always exist because growth and change there's inherently some discomfort so i don't think it's bad that the idea of discomfort but i do find the reframe is helpful for all the reasons that you just said You know, if if most of us, if we were watching a kid learn how to ride a bike, we wouldn't beat, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't beat that, the, the kid up verbally for not being able to get it right the first time or for falling down or for being scared or being like, I can't do this. And then having to come back a few days later, right? It's kids had never ridden a bike before. And that's just one example, right? So it's like, how can we turn that same grace and curiosity and mystery to ourselves when we're up to new things big or small when we decide we want to change something about our life uh how can we give ourselves the same grace is the word that you used to allow ourselves to build up our trust and build up our confidence to then go and have that thing
0: and i see you as a as a change maker like it's almost as if You've taken on this role as a as a leadership coach, where you're guiding people through change, through mm. discomfort. And there was something on um, your website where you used the word disrupt. I think the line was, "Disrupt a lifetime of conditioning." Yeah. And so, what calls you to that work? Why? Do you have that invitation as a headline on your website? You know, I've
1: recently been thinking a lot about of like what's the richness of life? What's the richness of of my life? What is the richness that the that people want for themselves, right? Like what what makes life uh, juicy and outside of what we've been conditioned to want or not want or how we should live or, or not live. You know, I think I, I grew up in a small town. My parents got divorced when I was 10. Then I moved to a, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, which is a big town, you know, had to, didn't have any friends there. I had to make friends. I went from being a very outgoing person to a very shy person. And that stayed with me until college and is still with me at, at times. I think about living in the Midwest and a lot of it was about, you know, there's a, there's a culture of that. The Midwest has I've lived on the West coast and there's a culture that the West coast has. I, you know um, I'm a white woman. There's culture and conditioning that as a white woman I've had, right? Like there's all these different messages that I've gotten my entire life. And I think a lot of disrupting those messages is what allows me to, cultivate a life full of richness it, it's it's what's necessary for me to support other people and whatever way they want to design their leadership and their businesses and their their uh, their life as well right cuz you know i i focus on leadership but we're human beings so there's it's all integrated we, you know, we can't talk about leadership without talking about people's lives so i think a lot of that is where the this this disrupting conditioning comes from um, nobody comes to me and is like, "I just want everything to stay the same." Because if they did, we, <laughs> you know, there'd be no point of working together. Uh, but everybody that comes to me wants to change something, and to change that thing, we've got to disrupt conditioning. We've got to actually uh, rebuild the the narratives that we want playing. And I and I have had to do the same thing, and I c- continue to do the same thing.
0: You've talked about sterilizing your. Using that term, sterilizing your um, your appearance, your your posture, your your language, your tone, to um, to fit a perception of how you think you're supposed to be in that situation, and and you've labeled it as as a a potential pitfall for other leaders as well, especially female leaders. It seems like a very apt word. (laughs) Yeah.
1: As soon as you said it, I was both like, oh, and oh, it's such a great word for what I mean and what you're reflecting back because it, it is, it's uh, sanitizing is the way I also often think of it as, as well as like we, I know for myself and for others, there's this, in, in, sometimes really obvious ways, like how we dress, how we look, how we present ourselves, how we speak, like there's really obvious ways in which we sanitize or, or, sterilize our, ourselves. But then there's also, uh, really subtle, subtle ways in which we sanitize ourselves, which is, you know, which word choices we use. Do we swear or not swear? Do we, uh, do we, allow ourselves to be visible or not visible? Do we, uh, are, are we out loud with our values and our beliefs or do we hold those back a little bit so that there's less risk of conflict, right? Like all those ways we sanitize ourselves, which, which, which pictures we show, which filters we use, right? All of it is a way to dim down or sanitize who we actually are because there's a lot of subconscious ways in which we don't realize that we're holding ourselves, holding ourselves back. Or again, me, too, like there's so many ways in which I have, you know, when I walk out the door, I'm like, okay, like, is this for me? Or is this for how society says I should be? And, and that's, I think that's the, the nuance of it is, am I consciously holding this back or am I just going, you know, kind of on a, is the conditioning subconscious enough that I don't even notice I'm
0: holding myself back? and how did you build that awareness muscle to pause and ask yourself that question?
1: I mean I've had a lot of uh, I, therapy <laughs> I've done a significant amount of therapy. I have uh, you know had my own coaches and mentors for the last seven plus years i I just really live and breathe the world of curiosity and the last couple of years really being aware of blind spots and how those show up. So it's been a really intentional choice to unlearn things and to learn things. And I mean, again, this is part of the work that I do. So there's times where I'm like, oh, I just I just need to do what I do with my clients and like reflect and sit with it. And then there's other times where I'm like, that's stupid and I don't want to do the work. And so then I go have a conversation with my coach. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm being real, kind of pissy about this. You know, there's some people who perhaps don't have the resources to, to work with somebody external to themselves right now. And, and there's other ways that you can do that, which is, again, just being super curious. You know, is this, what's the, what's the belief or the habit that's driving this choice? Is it mine? Like, do I want to keep that? or did I is that a family motto that I actually don't believe in anymore? Like did I learn that by reading Cosmopolitan magazine for 20 years? and that's not actually who I am, right? Like so I, I think the first and foremost is just to be curious about our the, automotis, the automaticity of our habits.
0: Yeah. I remember a very popular book that came out. Probably in my 20s, when I might have been more influenced by a magazine like Cosmopolitan. Mm, mm -hmm. And just by you naming it, it it brought it back to me. And it had to do with with dating. And there was something about being the hard-to-get woman. And this idea of not making yourself too available. Mm. And almost being aloof. And I remember a girlfriend following these steps religiously with a new interest in her life. And none of it sat right with me. (laughs) Like I just didn't, I couldn't buy into this idea that I was going to withhold my true feelings like for strategery. Mm -hmm. You know, that there was something to be gained by, not showing your hand, not showing your cards. That uh, yeah, I didn't know how to buy into that. Yeah, well, and it's
1: so perfect that you use that as a, as an example because i've I've had to unlearn that uh, that aloof behavior. I've had to unlearn that showing your feelings is actually well the thing i've had to learn is that showing your feelings is actually okay that vulnerability is okay that int- intimacy is okay that uh letting people in is okay like i've had to learn that or at least relearn it cuz i'm sure at some point you know i i knew how to do that um so it's it's just interesting that you use that example cuz as you're talking i'm like yeah like that's kind of how i was most of my life like aloof didn't need anybody didn't give a fuck about anybody which again is not true. I care a ton, which is probably part of what had me um, have that wall up. But yeah, like that's a, it's a perfect example of how we read something or we're given advice or tips in a magazine or book, or even some of the people that we love that we follow or have learned from over the years. Like there are tons of brilliant people in the world and but are we asking ourselves when we consume that information does this information apply to me even though it's from somebody I know like and trust
0: you mentioned something earlier when we were talking about the reframing things that are uncomfortable to being things that are unfamiliar and you spoke about the gift of slowing down and that's what it's taken me to more clearly see the connective tissue from my past to my present and let that inform my future. And so I'm wondering in, in hearing that, uh, what would your story be? Like this, this gold that you've mined in yourself, the thing that's calling you to show up as a leadership coach in the way that you are.
1: If I look at the threads of my life when it comes to leadership, it wasn't obvious during, I mean, now it is. Like in the last seven years when I've been training coaches and leaders and I've been specifically a leadership and executive coach, like now it's super obvious. Um, But it wasn't obvious before that. You know, I worked in the restaurant industry, and even at a young age, stepped into leadership roles. I, you know, was on the uh, honor roll society. And then I went to college and I quickly became the, you know, on the executive team of my sorority. And then when I got, when I graduated college and went into the business world, I was very intentional about the choices I make. And I was managing, leading people that were 20 years older than me and like so all all of those things now in hindsight I'm like oh like I never used the word leadership for that but that's essentially what it was like I I care about using my skills and abilities to move people in situations and change forward I care about people leading as who they are, not as the textbooks or the world says we should. I care about leadership is a fundamental way in which we shift and change the world that we live in. Uh, Better leaders make better managers and better, better leaders and managers make for people to have better work experiences and culture experiences. And when people are in those situations, they get to love what they do and be great at what they de- do and be who they are and what they do, and that changes businesses and and nonprofits and uh, PTA and right, like our our government system. Like I have, I have very uh, lofty goals for what shifting leadership can do for the world, and I can see what it's done for myself. Right? If I make this even more personal, I've had to learn to be. I had to learn how to integrate my heart in my leadership as much as I used my head was always very head based and logic based and reason based. And it worked well, but it also limited who I could uh, make a difference for or who I would let in or who I could be in relationship with. So that's, you know, I can see all of the threads now, but only looking back not during.
0: And what occurred to you about your path? Were you were you you were organically stepping into leadership roles and you can see that connective tissue to who you are now? Was it a reaction in any way to something that was missing in your life? Like, did you become the leader that you didn't see or didn't know or didn't have?
1: I think I had really great role models when it comes to leading and and being responsible for people. I think the thing... Well, look, if I'm being totally honest, when I got out of college, I just know, knew that I wanted to make money. I knew that um i did not want to end up in some of this the things my parents had to go through in you know not having access to certain things so i was very clear that i was going to you know i got a business degree i was on the business uh, organization side of the place I started working at and moved over to the IT side because, you know, IT historically made more money. Like a lot of my decisions at first in climbing the corporate ladder were money motivated. So I don't, you know, I'm not proud of that (laughs) now, but I also want to be honest. Like this is not, this was not all rainbows and butterflies for me as far as how I made choices and stuff when I was younger. And even now I have to put that money motivation in check. Like what's it in service of and how come versus just a thing that uh, that's what I'm supposed to do as a coach. I'm supposed to raise my rates, right? Like, am I, do I have to like, what, you know, how do I create both of those things? But so some of it was very much money motivated. It was, I wanted to learn as much as possible. I thought I was supposed to climb the corporate ladder. So some of that was because of of shoulds. You know, again, to to be honest, not something I'm necessarily proud of. But in that, in those experiences, I was able to learn, what do I like about this? What do I love about leading people? What do I love about developing leaders? What do I love about reminding somebody that they're great at something. Like so many people get acknowledged for what's not what they're not doing right. Like how can I actually cultivate somebody's self-trust and self-confidence? So it was through that that journey that I really got um ooh this is what I like. And, ooh, I can actually find a better north star than monetary compensation. Cuz I got there. I you know 31 years old, made the money I wanted to, to make and was like, this sucks. Like I, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so that's when I made some pretty big changes, but it's a long way to say my reasons weren't always motivated by, you know, making a difference in the world, but it was through those things that I figured it out.
0: And we all have our path to take. Yeah. Yeah. And so what makes life juicy now?
1: I've created space to be able to slow down. Like I've actually, not 100% of the time, to be clear, this is something I'm still working on, but I've actually had to unlearn that productivity all the time makes me more valuable. I've had to unlearn that, you know, I'm supposed to do these big, you know, these big, big things that I, you know, have to accomplish, you know, in like three years. And like, I've just, I've really had to unlearn what I'm motivated or I've had to, I've had to be conscious of what I'm motivated by and how come I'm choosing things. So for me, learning that slow, slowing down can create some juiciness of, of life. You know, I, I spend more time outside, which Really requires you to be with your thoughts because there's not a lot of distraction I've deepened relationships connecting to other people's humanity is so much more accessible to me which makes life more juicy also makes it more painful and heartbreaking and all the shit I didn't want to be with but there's a richness to my life because of the relationships that I allow the conversations I get to be in um you know, even this conversation with you, like, yeah, you and I have had lots of conversations. Many of them over the last five years. But to be able to like pick up, like, no time has has passed, right? Like you and I be able to reconnect and and uh, be with each other in this way is juicy to me. Me too. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, the the thing I didn't say here is that to me, there's. A lot of juiciness and having a purpose but that's a line I'm trying I've I've been playing with for myself recently because I can I I can take purpose to like the nth degree which is like I've got to be purposeful all the time I've got to be making sure I'm having an impact I've got to reach as many people as possible I can turn that purpose into a whipping stick versus like hey relax (laughs) right like you can you can have purpose be part of your juicy life and use it from some other place besides a whipping stick and producing. And that's the only way that you have value. Like, can I I actually have purpose just by existing, by showing up in the world and being with you and, and being in this conversation and having relationships and being outside and having conversations with my clients? Like, can that actually be enough and not be chasing some made up measurement of purpose?
0: I think you're speaking to one of the most uh, universal uh, transformations that has been has been allowed to happen with the quarantine. Uh. I mean the 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 shutdown of everyone's social life and in person professional connections, all the events and happenings that used to fill my calendar. Came, you know, crashing to a halt along with everyone else in the world. And so what were we left with? A lot of time to ourselves to slow the fuck down and really ask ourselves, like, what was all that about? I mean, I'm the most extroverted, extroverted person. <laughs> yeah. You hear people referring to themselves as an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert and I'm just like all the way. I'm like an extrovert, and extrovert. There's just no, like that's everything. That's, that was everything to me. And I don't know if it's my new, my new love relationship that's allowed me to drop in deeper to myself, but the slowness has just been a huge gift. And so when I hear you talk about using purpose as a whipping stick, like I'm real familiar with how that sounds. Because the fear of not doing that is the, will I be enough as I am? As just being here, offering my gift of presence.
1: I love that you, like gift of presence is the thing that just came out of your, your mouth because I do think many people, including myself in this, discount the value of our presence simply by showing up right not having to perform in a certain way not having to produce in a certain way not having to act in a certain way you know I I think sometimes the risk is of when we become known for something is that then we put the pressure on ourselves to be that person in every setting in every social setting and and that yeah and then we forget that actually while we may have become known for that thing, we don't have to show up that way all the time. Like just our our presence and being in a space has value. And so the way that you said it is is so great because I, I do think many of us discount that simply being there is enough.
0: Just last night, I got to share dinner with a good friend and she reminded me of a story Neither one of us could remember the context for the situation of the story, but we both remembered the details of it. There was a woman doing a piece of performance art, and she was sitting in a chair, and there was a table in front of her and an empty chair facing her. And there was this long queue of people waiting to sit in that empty chair opposite this woman. And she didn't say a word. The performance was to be seen by her. And the story about it goes that the individuals who sat in her presence, were so moved by her nonverbal attention that many of them started weeping, just having an emotional reaction to being seen. Ugh,
1: that is, it's beautiful and it's so powerful And, you know, perhaps it's so powerful because it's not, it's not something that we typically get to be with silence or uh, being moved by someone's presence in that way, or, you know, being able, I think a lot about if I can, I don't always do this consciously or intentionally, but I think often think about it, if if however I show up can allow somebody to see more of themselves, then I've been able to bring the presence of leadership or I've been able to bring the presence of just who I'm committed to being in the the world. You know, if, if somebody gets to, to be with and see with more of, more of themselves and that it's okay. And, 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 and I'm like, that's such a gift. So that's a lot of what I hear in your story is that without even using words, you know, this person was able to allow space for people to um, dip into
0: themselves. And that's profound. Yeah. This person, I don't even know. In my mind, ever since I heard that story years ago, I really should look up the origin of it so I I can credit it correctly. Uh. But she's my idol. Like, I actually want to do that. I want to be that woman sitting there, holding space, seeing people. You know, you
1: didn't ask for this question, but I'll pose it, which is like it's clear that you have that that goal and that aspiration. And how do you do that already for people? Because I feel like, I mean, that's how who you, you've been for me in a lot of ways. You know, we, you and I met on a, uh, Nikki Roush had a sales training, and you and I were both on it, and we ended up connecting afterwards. And you know, I I remember thinking like, how does this person have the confidence to have pink hair? Like, how does this person have the confidence to, to wear whatever you want and to say whatever you want? And how does this person know so many people and have so many friends and like people so damn much, right? <laughs> like, so it's, it's, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't on my mind every time we had a conversation, but it, I think if I think about the arc of our friendship and a lot of, you know, you and I are very different in a lot of ways. And we're also, you know, we have a lot in common how we, you know, see the world and how we navigate things and, you know, our growth areas. But for me, you've very much been somebody that like, hey, it's actually okay for me to bring this part of me or more of this, or it's okay to uh, stand out. You know, I've spent most of my life trying to blend in just enough I, I I wanted to be noticed but not enough for there to be any real risk or consequence and so I, I totally get that you want to be this this person that you aspire to but in so many ways you already are that right you already allow people to see themselves so I know that's helpful for me sometimes and again you could do with it what you what you want but I know sometimes it's helpful to uh, to look at how we how are we already that thing that we aspire to
0: I'm really touched by that, just receiving that that reflection, that question, how are we already that thing we aspire to be? One of my biggest exercises in getting ready to launch the Pink Noise Posse, mm. which are which is the collection of these amazing guests of which you are one who have been on this radio show and creating an online resource, an access point to these individual practitioners, these Posse members. I was working on the brand strategy and what does it represent? What are the brand pillars of Pink Noise and mine and shine the gold within? What's the what and what's the how and what's the why? And I was working it out with my longtime colleague, Evan Green, who has a, a format for creating a visual story that includes four brand pillars, four core values, and your, your why, your purpose, your reason for being in the center. Cool. And I mapped it out. And he uses the archetype of the king in the north, and the south is the warrior, And in the West is the magician and the East is the lover and taking these archetypes to consider within your brand, what word, what do you stand for your what within each of those four quadrants. And what I want to bring up is in the magician quadrant, this is what makes you unique. What is the thing that separates you from others what is what is it and i sat with it and i meditated on it for weeks other words came quicker to me what was in the north or the south or the east but the magician quadrant took the longest time to come and the word was presence (laughs) full circle yeah yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, the the language around the word presence was slow down to see and be seen.
1: Yeah, and there's the thread right there. That's yep. Very consistent. Yeah.
0: And it plays out. I mean, I think about love church at cafe racer which was my live project through 2019 and i brought in authentic relating games and tools into this live uh, laboratory and i invited everyone who attended to offer a three breath hug to someone in the room i know the transformative power of a three breath hug I mean, you need consent because not everyone will stay in an embrace and allow themselves to fully inhale and exhale with the other person. But the length of time that it takes to have three whole breaths, to share three breaths with someone, is enough time that your body receives this message of connection, it's okay. I can calm down. I'm safe. I'm not alone. I can belong here. I, I totally get what
1: you're saying. I think it's so true. There's this physical connection and being able to um, be with somebody in that way that's so beautiful. And uh, it's definitely a practice for me. <laughs> and of course, you're like, this is awesome. Like, this is my jam. I'm like, like, let people in. Uh, so great. And so there was a t there's a time that I would roll my eyes at the idea of that. And now I'm able to be like, okay, well, what is it about physical touch? What is it about uh affection in that way? What is it about being with somebody in that way that I have resistance to? And so now I can go and explore, and I have, I've done, you know, therapeutic work and coaching work on that, but to actually understand like what's the disconnect between my body and my head and my heart and actually look at integrating those um so you know I just bring that in to to highlight an example of like sometimes we hear something and we're like nah that's not for me when really it might be the thing that would add more juiciness to our life if we're willing to lean into it and explore it and all of that
0: I'm so glad you came back to mentioning resistance and what we can learn from it i wrote it down earlier learning from resistance and i wanted to circle back so um what do you think are some of the other gifts of resistance i've i've heard people who do shadow work talk a lot about noticing what it is that you're resisting or if you're feeling an aversion to a particular person what is it that you're what is it that, that you're not okay with and that there that's often a clue to something that you might not be okay with in yourself
1: yeah I you know the way that you phrased it which is you know what are we learning from our resistance is I think it can be again it goes back to that curious piece like we can shut things down And we can be curious about things. Like those are both options. Sometimes, from a safety standpoint, whether it's actual safety, right, in the moment where we're unsafe, or whether it's uh, a perceived that we're not safe because something that we learned over 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 time, right. So sometimes there is actually something that we've deemed feels unsafe, and we can shut it down. Like we have every right to be like. No, hugging makes me uncomfortable. And right now I'm not willing to do that. Right. We that is of course an option for us. And we have an option when we're maybe not in fight or flight and or just general curiosity. We can be curious about that. Like, oh, what's up with how I feel about hugging? Was it just this person? Like, did I get creeper vibes from this person? Or is it actually, you know, I've got stuff around physical intimacy, right? So and look, we're using I'm using hugging as an example because you you know, it was, it's part of the story that you told and it's a, perhaps a more benign example than some of the bigger things we could talk about. But I think it's, you know, we can shut down in the moment and be curious later. We can be curious in the moment and we can shut down and not be curious later. Like those are all fine examples. Uh, And to your point earlier, we can learn something from our resistance. Like, I actually didn't know that there was, (laughs) I didn't know people had a thing about my hugs until people were like, yeah, like, you know, thanks for the, thanks for the back clap. (laughs) I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, could you get out of this hug any faster? I'm like, well, yeah. Um, So it wasn't even until, you know, people that I care about were joking with me around it that I'm like, oh, there's something for me to explore here around physical intimacy. Because, you know, my sisters, I have two sisters, they're much more affectionate than I am. Uh, And I'm not, and I'm learning to be, but it's just not my wheelhouse. So again, when it comes to romantic relationships and vulnerability with my family and showing people that I love, that I love them, there is huge growth and opportunity for me in physical affection. But I've got to be willing to lean into that resistance and do some work around that. And we could apply that to any area of life, Like, what do I want to do with this information? Do I want things to stay the same, in which case I don't have to explore that resistance? And, or do I want something to shift, in which case I likely need to understand that
0: resistance? So I think what I'm hearing you say is the key to whether or not it should be explored lies in your desire to have the outcome be different if you're satisfied with the outcome with status quo then keep saying no to the thing but if you actually might be better served with a different outcome then it might be worth exploring why it is you shut down yeah have i got that right
1: it's a great way to 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 recap it. Uh, it's basically what do we want to use the information for? Another example I could give is I'm easily annoyed. It's just it's a thing. <laughs> I am admittedly and known for being easily annoyed. And that annoyance might only last three seconds. It, it it might be a thing and then it's gone and I'm not annoyed anymore. And then sometimes it lasts for much longer. And it could be people, situations, how loud somebody chews, right? Like it can be the most the benign thing to some bigger things. There's a lot I'm annoyed with in the world, rightfully so. Right? So it can go to the whole spectrum. But I remember my coach a few years ago, uh, my last coach. And I, I was really beating myself up for, for being so easily annoyed. I'm like, I wish I could just change this about myself. I'm like, it make, I feel like it makes me bitchy and cold and unlovable. And I wish I could just fix this, this quality of mind that I'm so easily annoyed by things. And the, the reframe that she offered me is like, well, what is, th- what is your annoyance trying to tell you? Like, what if your annoyance is actually your vision, like, what if your annoyance allows you to see things that other people can't? And the difference is, is who am I going to be with that annoyance? If I'm shitty from that annoyance, likely not going to go well. But if I can take a beat and be like, what is this annoyance trying to tell me? And how can I bring this to the person or situation or whatever it is from a place of, of being and care? And it's, it makes me, it, it helps me be a great coach. It helps me be a great trainer. It helps me be great in relationships because I use that as information. And I think all of us have something about ourselves. I assert most of us have something about ourselves we wish was different or, or, or we could change. And how can we reuse that resistance to that quality as our superpower?
0: You said that you assert that most people might have something about themselves that they'd like to change. I've heard myself say many times, I wished I could care less
1: Uh,
0: about everything. Yeah. It definitely plagued me in in my marriage that I'm no longer in. And it was often brought up in that relationship. You know, why do you care so damn much about everything?
1: Hmm.
0: and so I've seen it as a problem I care too much about things that are none of my business that might have got me in trouble at work when I had an employer and um you know I have my job to fulfill but I'm I'm worried about what they're doing over here in this department and what they're doing over there in that department and how I don't feel like that's that's going so well but what about my lane what's happening over here if I'm worried about what they're doing, I'm doing such a great job with my own responsibilities. So I could see how it was problematic. And, uh, and it's also like the birthplace of my compassion.
1: Yeah. There's positive and negative consequences to you caring so damn much. There are positive and negative consequences to me being easily annoyed. And sometimes again, this is my opinion, but sometimes those qualities 100% serve us and what we're up to in our juicy life and our North Star. And sometimes they're a, a hindrance. And I think because we're aware of both of you know yours and, and mine, again, that information allows us to make decisions and the choices from that place.
0: Yeah. I remember a job I had, I was around 30 and I was in dialogue with the owner's wife, who was a mentor of mine. And we recognized something that was the same in both of us. And it was that we had a really low tolerance for incompetency. Mm. And when I hear you say that you're easily annoyed, I think of my relationship with this woman and how we could both gossip about people in the office who were bugging us because we had a shared low tolerance for incompetency. And we think if the task is made clear and here's the instructions on said task and the person makes eye contact with you and says, okay, and you walk away, you think that everything that you asked for will happen. And when it doesn't, you know, you're obviously frustrated and, and I walked around with this for a long time. It took a bit to unpack the, the compassion part. And, and, you know, until you're in someone else's shoes, you can't know. You can't know what else is on their mind. What, what kind of a day are they having? What outside influences are, are impacting their ability to do a good job at work? And I didn't factor any of those things in when I was 30.
1: Yeah. It's, I have a gremlin that sits on my shoulder that can be a total judgy asshole. And from that place, not going to be a great coach, not going to be a great leader, probably not all that fun to be around. Um, and on the flip side of that, you know, I have tons of compassion and empathy, and I can actually put myself in, or at least attempt to understand what people are going through. And again, I have to choose it. And look, I mean, you've been around me. I, that, that snarky side of me can actually be really fun and I can be really intentional about it. And I have a lot of fun with it, with my clients. And so it's a, it's such a big part of my essence, but again, it's who am I being in, in any of those situations, I, I can have so much fun with that snarky side of me and it's part of my brand and and who I am. And part, probably part of my, uh, magician right, is that I, uh, am very compassionate, empathetic and, you know, snarky as shit. Like that's, that's the thing. But again, I think it's coming back to, am I conscious of this or am I just one walking around the planet thinking I'm better than everybody else, which is, not great and not true, right? It's not actually how I feel, but when I get scared, you know, when that, when there's a part of me that's, doesn't feel good enough or doesn't think I'm lovable or, or, or the judgy asshole keeps me protected because then I don't have to get close to people. I don't have to be in relationship. So I think that's the other thing. I think you and I have been dancing around it in this conversation. Uh, it's, A lot of how we, pretty much all of how we are protects us in some way. And so are we aware of the fears that are driving our behavior and our our qualities and our decisions and, you know, are our fears that are driving our resistance? And if we can understand those and be honest with ourselves about our fears, we can do all kinds of things with self-trust and who we are in the world.
0: Yes, please. More of that. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that we're nearing the end of our time together. Uh, There was something you said uh, about lofty goals for shifting leadership in the world. Mm. And I wondered if you'd give us a peek into what some of those lofty goals are.
1: Well, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when you ask it that way, because I think about it, you know, I've got my projects and goals that I work on for myself and, and my business and leadership and relationship goals. Right? I have all of that. And then that all points to a bigger North Star that I've, I don't know that I've actually put a specific measurement around but when I think about it as you're asking it and when I think about that lofty goals is I think it's more of like a vision I have for the world which is that there is you know there's a article I read a few years ago that says there's more CEOs named John than there are people who identify as women as CEOs like that's just jacked up. And so when I think about the work that I do and the people that I work with, so much of it is about, you know, how do I support a world where there's more representation in leadership? How do I, what conversations do I need to be in? Who do I need to be in conversations with? Who do I want to be having an impact on that would no longer have that, you know, more johns than than people who identify as women as CEOs? Uh, what are the conversations that I would be in that would have more funding for under uh, underestimated leaders and, and businesses? What are the conversations that I need to be in that would have people in government operating in different different ways and leading across differences? And so that's kind of how I think about it and just seeing having a vision for the world that's different than the one that we have now. And that... Is individual based. You know, I I find a lot of people will often, again, discount the impact and the leader that they are. Well, I'm not in a big company. I don't have direct reports. I don't have a certain title. I'm not making a certain amount of money. I'm not working in a specific industry. And so if those factors aren't met, they're like, well, I'm not a leader. I don't identify as that. So who can I be in the world that would actually have every single individual? relate to themselves as a leader of something. Because that, I think, when we understand our own impact and the difference that we make just by existing, then we make, then it gives us, I think, the power and the confidence to go do the thing.
0: What was something I read that you wrote? Am I going to find it? It was, um, (laughs) people describe you as, smart, confident, courageous, high-performing, and impactful. They even say you're the leader among leaders. Mm. Imagine feeling the same way about yourself. Yeah. Again, hearing those words back, it's like,
1: I have a conversation with really high-performing, seasoned leaders, predominantly women, the people who identify as women. And, you know, I, I, I do span all the all different pronouns and and how people relate to themselves but predominantly people who identify as women and you know these are people who have are well known in their industries and they're very seasoned and they sometimes have crisis of confidence and feel like they're not doing enough and and so i think we put people on pedestals at times forgetting that part of the human experience is that we at times, we'll have self-doubt, and at times, we'll forget who we are, and at times, we, uh, you know, don't think we're on the course we should be on. So there's there's not really a place to get to around there's there's no status or title or place you're going to get where that goes away completely. So can you actually own where you're at now? You know, I saw this thing on Instagram the other day. I you've it's been around a long time, but it's like somebody somewhere you know your your kindness is still making a difference for and there's no way any of us could know how big of an impact or or the the difference we make for people so can we actually just trust that we do
0: and that keeps us moving forward the ripple effect yeah yep thank you i'd ask for any more final words but i feel like i've taken up enough of your time i i, I mean i think we Hit on a lot today.
1: So <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, we, we covered a lot of um, meaningful stuff. So thanks for the conversation.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that's one hell of a way to end season one of Pink Noise. Wow. <laughs> Living a Juicy Life with Sarah Schneider. If you want to learn more about her work, read more about what she's up to at Sarah Schneider Co. and I'll post a link to her social platforms. Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you'll stick around for Season 2 of Pink Noise Posse coming at you on September 26th. Until then, keep mining and shining your inner gold.